Friends, let's open in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Page 1 of your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. You heard our passage read in the Old Testament reading, but I just want to reiterate one verse, verse 27, and then we'll pray together. Genesis 1.27, hear God's word. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray together. What a gift, Lord God, that not only do we have this beautiful creation made in six days and all good, but you have crowned it with creating humanity, male and female, in your image to reflect your glory. We praise you for this. We pray that we would learn what it means for us and how to live and move and how have our being as image bearers of you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're starting a new series. We started it last week, Your Kingdom Come. It's a survey of the Old Testament, the story of redemption from Genesis to Malachi with Jesus shining at the center. Now, since we're doing that much scripture in that little time, I want to hit you with a little uh, math early on a Sunday morning, okay? There are 929 chapters in the Old Testament, And there are only 37 Sundays between last week and May. Which means that we should be covering about 25 chapters a week in our Old Testament just to keep the pace with this study. So the very fact that we're in week two, and we're not in Genesis 50 like we should be, we're already behind, we're still in Genesis chapter one, speaks to just how incredibly important this chapter is to ground us in our understanding of certainly the Old Testament, but who we are as human beings and who God is as he introduces himself to us. Our passage, and then Genesis chapter 2, is the story of God making humanity in his image. Now, I've heard a lot of explanations and definitions of what it means for man to be made in the image of God, but try as I might, I cannot improve on the simple threefold description that's in the ESV study Bible. I love this definition, better than my definitions, and that says this is what it means that we're made in God's image, that humanity resembles God, that humanity represents God, and that humanity has a relationship with God, resembles, represents relationship. We're going to look at each of those. Man resembles God. To be made in God's image is to resemble God. Actually, the word image that's being used here in verses 26 and 27 is also the same word that can be used in the Old Testament for idol. So if someone is making an idol and they have a deity that they want to represent and they create something out of silver or wood, they call that thing an idol or an image. And that's the same word that God is using when he says, I am making humanity, little people in my image to reflect me. That's the word. So on day six of creation, God declares in verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, since this is God speaking, and he's using the plural we, 
there's been debate about what we mean by this. What, what is he talking about? Is he talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we testify to? Or is he talking about the heavenly host, that this is God and his attending angels? I certainly subscribe to the Trinity because he is saying, let us make man in our image. Not the image of the heavenly host, but the image of me, God, in three persons. One God in three persons makes one humanity in two genders, male and female. And in gendered humanity, the fact that we exist male and female in two genders is part and parcel of what it means to be made in God's image. That emphasis is right here in verse 27. He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You don't have humanity in two genders and you don't have a faithful image representation of God in this world, in his humanity. Now, I used this scene in a wedding that I preached a few weeks ago, but I think it fits here very well. Imagine if when God created the world, he invited you into the consultation process, and he kind of was making everything, and then he was getting to humanity, and he said, man, I got an idea for humanity. Let me run it by you. I'm thinking about making humanity not just in one gender, as I could do, but in two genders, And I want to make them male and female, and I want to give them an almost irresistible urge one for another. And then they could find a release for that urge in making a monogamous commitment of marriage between one male and one female. What do you think? That's my idea. Dude, I would say, Lord, (laughs) I've trusted you with everything else. But this sounds like a really, really bad idea. I mean, a world in two genders, that, that sounds bad. I mean, that sounds like it could get sideways on us in a bunch of different ways. I think about really silly ways that a world of two genders gets sideways on us. I think about my heartache as an elementary school student and having my first crush and Just because the world exists in two genders, I find myself writing a note, do you like me, yes or no, circle one, and passing it down the row to this girl, and she's passing it back, and everyone's laughing in my row, and I open it up, and it says no. And I thought, why did I make that an option? (laughs) Do you like me, yes or maybe? You're saying there's a chance. There are simple ways that this thing, it just distracts. It just gets silly on us real quick. But then, of course, there are very dark and serious ways that a world of two genders can hurt. Loneliness and lust, resentment and abuse, pornography, adultery, divorce, homosexuality, gender confusion. There's a host of very, very dark things that have touched every single person in this room because the world exists, male and female. I would say, Lord, this just sounds like a bad idea. And it's like God responds, I know that's important, 
but I actually have something more important at stake than what you're talking about. I'm going to use this dicey dynamic between two genders to display my image on this earth. By making humanity in two genders that are ever relating to one another, we are going to learn something about God. We're going to feel something viscerally about God that we couldn't otherwise know, and that that is God is a relational God. God is a communal God. He exists within himself one God in three persons in mutual, eternal love within himself. Jesus, when he explains to us the love that he has for us, he does it in relation to the love that is within the Trinity. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. He prays in John 17, Holy Father, keep them in your name that they may be one even as you and I are one. Marriage then is holy ground. Husband and wife joining together in one flesh as mandated in Genesis chapter 2, whispers the Trinity. We are reflecting the Trinity. And marriage after the fall also is holy ground because husband like Christ and wife like the church as one flesh screams our redemption. God is showing forth himself in humanity in two genders. We resemble a relational God. Now that is part and parcel of what it means to resemble God. There are other elements that if we had time we could talk about as well. That humanity has an intellect, a creativity, a will, a sense of self and self-identity, an innate sense of right or wrong. These are all ways that, that we resemble God. That means that humanity stands above the animals as the crown of God's creation and why we are separate from them. But all of that together, all of that resembling God in our gender and in our creativity and in our intellect and in our morality means that being made in God's image means that we are valuable to him. There is dignity and there is value to every single human life. Friends, this is radical. This is countercultural. This is where the flame of justice is fanned in the church and it turns up the heat on a misguided world on this point. This is where the William Wilbur forces of the world came from. This doctrine of the dignity of humanity made in God's image when Wilberforce worked to eradicate slavery in England. This is where the Cory Ten Booms come from who risked their necks to house Jews during the Holocaust. This is the Amy Carmichaels who leave their home and their family to go start an orphanage in India. This is where the Martin Luther King Juniors risk their lives to stand for civil rights in this nation. It's the dignity of every human life. 
This is why we're promoting outreach within our church over the next three weeks. And this is why we would do something crazy like put a deacon in a car with a bunch of women from this church and drive to a strip club on Saturday night to witness to the girls in the changing room because we are wed to the fact that every human life is valuable. It is worthwhile. It is worthy to God and we move towards humanity in all her beauty and her brokenness. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. I was sitting at dinner with the elders of this church a couple of months ago and one of the elders was telling the rest of us that he had a friend who's pregnant and she's not sure if she's going to keep the baby. And simultaneously, three of us said, I'll take the baby. Like, boom. I don't need to text my wife. I don't need to give her a heads up. If a baby's at stake, we're taking the baby. And I text my wife about everything. Like if I'm gonna be home 15 minutes late from work, I better text my wife. But if I'm gonna bring home a human being to live in our house, made in God's image, a text would be nice, but it's not required. We believe in the sanctity of life, the value of every human being that is countercultural. That is not what our culture is telling us, but we are wed to that right here from the gate in Genesis chapter 1. We are made in the image of God. How beautiful and honorable. Well, not only do we resemble God, we also, believe it or not, represent God in this world. This is magnificent. We don't just have God-like qualities. We're given a God-like job in the world to do. Look at verse 28. It says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, this is called often either the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. And if you think about it, you could string together Genesis 1, the creation mandate, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is the great commandment, and Matthew chapter 28, which is the great commission, and that is the sum total of what God calls of the church. Fill the earth and subdue it. Love God and love other people. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You put those three commands together and what else is there for the church to do? These are our marching orders and they come to us in the very first chapter. This means that our work, our vocation, what we do, our calling, is not a curse of the fall, It's a gift of creation. Work is a gift that's been given to us. Now we're going to hear in Genesis chapter 3 that the fall frustrates our work. It puts us at odds with each other and with ourselves and with the created world. But work has always been, is now, and always will be a blessing and a gift from God for us to have meaning in this world. We as human beings are God's vice regents on earth. He is entrusting us with this universe to fill it, to study it, 
to protect it, garden it, mine it, produce all kinds of good and wonderful and useful and beautiful things from it. When you wake up to work, whether that means at home with your kids or that means going off to school to prepare for your vocation, or that means to go to your workplace to bring home bread for your table, that is an act of worship unto God. He has made you to do that. Work is not this dirty little thing we do on the side to make money so that we can come to church and do ministry, which is the real substance of our lives. Work is valuable to God because we are representing God in this world. It is an act of worship unto him to thrive in our workplaces. That's what it means to to represent God in creation, to, to create, to build culture, to build good things from the world that God has made. I was walking with my kids on the river a couple of weeks ago and When we're in creation, I just love to have conversations about creation. Look at what God has made and and look at how creative he is and look at how powerful he is and what are your favorite things about creation? And so I'll get my six and eight-year-old rattling off their favorite things that God has made. The mountains. Man, yeah, absolutely. They're incredible, beautiful. Rivers. Yes, the river. It's amazing. God made this. It's incredible. The, The woods. Yes, we love the woods. The diversity of God. It's incredible. The iPhone. It's like, oh, that's a tough one. Um, I guess God made the Chinese and the Chinese made our iPhone. So yeah, like in a roundabout way, you kind of get squeamish around like what man has made in the world as not really being what God has originally made. But the iPhone is God's plan in certain aspects about it. Um, God has always intended that we would mine the resources of this world and build beautiful things. I know that we're going to start in a garden, the Garden of Eden, and it strikes us as a very agrarian society. But right away, Adam is building tools so that he can garden the Garden of Eden. And we are going to end in the New Jerusalem coming out of heaven to descend on earth, the new heavens and the new earth, a city that's going to be full of architecture and engineering, of of music and of culture, the good things that we have built from this creation for the glory of God. I want you to think about this picture of the creation mandate. Because God saying this in Genesis chapter 1 gives us the earliest glimpse of God's intention for the world. Right off the bat, he says, I want you to fill this thing, the world, and I want believing families to know and to love and to worship me everywhere that they live. That's God's plan for the world. He says it in Genesis chapter 1, and he never changes from that plan through the rest of our Bibles. It's here at creation We're going to hear it two weeks later in the promise he gives to Abraham. You're going to be a blessing to all nations. We're going to study it as God creates the kingdom of Israel, which displays his glory on the earth. The plan is the same. He's going to make it possible through his son, the Lord Jesus. And then he's going to give us, the New Testament church, the marching orders to fill the earth with worship to God that his glory might cover the earth as the waters the sea. No change in the plan of God from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation. Might humanity turn to me in worship wherever they might be found. 
This is God's plan. And we are his representatives, his vice regents for this plan. So we resemble God. And then we, we work in God's, what God has given us to do. And finally, man has a relationship with God. The final mark of humanity, the final special mark of what it means to bear God's image apart from all the other animals is that we will have a unique relationship with God. That God desires to commune with us one with another. I want you to just hear if you missed all the tenderness from God towards us as human beings in creation. I got the chance this week to speak at a college ministry and my topic was, who is God? And I had 20 minutes. And so I stayed awake all night and I didn't know what to do and I gave some avant-garde devotional from Deuteronomy but I should have just done Genesis chapter 1. This is just so clear. If you were staying in a Motel 6 and you opened up the Gideon Bible and said, I wonder who God is, and you read this, think about the tender moving of God towards you as a human being. God makes us in his own image. He forms us and fashions us and he breathes life into us. He, he gives dignity to us as human beings because he stamps us with his image. And then God gives us his creation to enjoy, that we can study it and learn from it and use it, that we can create things for our needs certainly, but even above that for the wants that we have in the world for joy and for beauty. He offers us this creation. And then in Genesis chapter 1, God blesses us, and then he gives us companionship with each other, male and female, and then he gives us meaningful work that we can do and apply our hands to while we live in this world. And even though every day of creation, God made it and said that it was good, when he was done with humanity on day six, he looks over all that he has made and he says, it is very good in my eye. And if that weren't enough, God rests on the seventh day, the Sabbath, not because God himself was tired or slumbers or sleeps or needs rest. He did that as yet another gift to humanity that we might rest from our work and we might get the smallest hint that this is a rest that betrays the eternal rest that will come in the Lord Jesus Christ. None of this is deserved. None of this is merited. None of this was initiated by a single person in this room. None of this was because God suspected we would turn out to be decent people and because of our righteousness to come, he wanted to give us a down payment of that righteousness. None of this came from us, was about us, or was our initiative towards God. It's just grace. It's just pure, unadulterated, undeserved, unmerited grace. All of it is God in his own initiative moving towards us as human beings. If you opened your Gideon Bible and just got a glimpse of that picture, this primer on God that comes to us through creation, 
then you might be ready to hear the good news of salvation. If you knew that God, by his very nature, moves towards us in grace, you might be ready to hear that even after we rebel against him and fall from him and run from him, that he again pursues us in loving kindness. He sends his son for our sake. He puts our guilt on him to pay the penalty of our wrongdoing. He receives us into love and he pours out on us the riches of his lavish kindness in Christ Jesus, not because he owes it to us, but because you heard from Genesis chapter one, this is just the kind of God he is. He's just always doing stuff like this. He's just always moving towards human beings to show them his love that we might fill this earth and worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together. Lord, the first step of our call to be a true human being born in this world and to be a true Christian born again in this world and the world to come is really just to open up our arms and receive the loving kindness that you have given to us in creation and in redemption and in consummation. Let us be good receivers. Let us be those who hold our arms open wide to receive your love and grace. We plead in Jesus' name, amen.